Hi, we're the Toms family. I'm Kathy. I'm Randy. I'm Madison. I'm Mason. And this is Michael. Our scripture reading this morning comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 through chapter 6, verse 2. So then, from this point on, we won't recognize people by human standards. Even though we used to know Christ by human standards, that isn't how we know him now. So then, if anyone is in Christ, that person is part of the new creation. The old things have gone away, and look, the new things have arrived. All of these new things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and who gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ, not by counting people's sins against them. He has trusted us with this message of reconciliation. So we are ambassadors who represent Christ. God is negotiating with you through us. We beg you as Christ's representatives, be reconciled to God. God caused the one who didn't know sin to be sin for our sake so that through him we could become the righteousness of God. Since we work together with him, we are also begging you not to receive the grace of God in vain. He says, I listened to you at the right time, and I helped you on the day of salvation. Look, now is the right time. Look, now is the day of salvation. We are thankful for the gift of scripture. Um, Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and meditation of each heart be acceptable in your sight. Lord, you are our strength, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but Christmas this year seemed especially exciting with a five-year-old in the house. I felt like this was the first year that my son really got into Christmas. The lights, the presents, giving and receiving, making cookies, and helping with the decorations. He's beginning to really understand the significance of the birth of Jesus. As he looks at the nativity set and the Christmas tree, his eyes light up, and it's clear that he knows it's a special time of year. But I know what's coming. Here in another week or so, when we begin to take down the decorations and all the new toys have been played with, he will ask, now what, mommy? After all the excitement and build up to Christmas, now what? What's next? What do we have to look forward to now? To that, I would say, well, this is just the beginning, not the end. While Christmas Day has come and gone, the celebration of light and hope continue, especially if we have eyes to look around and see it. It's easy to fall back into our normal routines and forget the greatest gift of Christmas is not the temporary excitement that comes with the rush of the holiday season. The gift of Jesus is the infinite, constant reminder of God's grace, love, and mercy for each one of us. Now what? we might ask. Well, now we bask in the light of the world. Now we give thanks for the gift of Jesus. Now we begin our work as followers of Jesus in a hurting and broken world. 
The church in Corinth to which Paul writes find themselves asking the same question. Well, now what? Scholars have joked that the Corinthian church is one of the most dysfunctional churches in history. In the first letter to the Corinthians, Paul is trying to settle many typical church fights. But in the second letter, he is trying to untie multiple knots of confusion and conflict around mixed messages from various teachers that have come through the community. Who is right? Who is wrong? What is true and what is not? Who is really in charge here? Are all questions they are struggling to answer. Paul writes to the struggling and confused church, encouraging them to look beyond human understanding and to shift their focus on reconciliation. Reconciliation between one another and ultimately with God. Now in the Greek, this word for reconciliation means that there's been some kind of change in relationship, a new understanding, or an exchange of mended hearts. In beautiful poetic prose, Paul invites us to see that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away and everything is new. We are given the chance to start again. We are given the opportunity to see people as new creations in Christ instead of those hang-ups that we might have toward them or struggles about what has been in the past. Paul is answering their now what questions by inviting them to do away with all that yucky stuff of the past and to embrace instead a ministry of reconciliation, giving to the church community, and of course celebrating that gift of Jesus Christ. Now, I know that I'm not alone when I say that 2020 has been a really tough year. This Christmas may have been one of the strangest and, for some of us, the saddest Christmas we have experienced. The pandemic, the unimaginable loss of life, unemployment, social isolation, mental health crises, disrupted plans, political dramas, the grief that many of us have suffered, and I could go on. If we were ever in need of a chance to start again, it's this upcoming year. If there's ever a time in our lives to embrace the gift of reconciliation given to us through the gift of Jesus, it is now. If there's ever a season that we hope for all to be made new, we pray that this is the one. Now, in the Jewish faith, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are the holiest days of the year. Rosh Hashanah is the Jewish New Year, followed by Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, ten days later. These holy days take place usually in September or October in the fall. It's a time to reflect upon the past year and to prepare yourself spiritually for the new year ahead. On Yom Kippur, we would fast and attend worship services at the temple. There was a time to speak aloud the things that occurred that may have done harm to others, or the times we were selfish, or the times we did not pay attention, or we neglected our loved ones, or even the stranger. We confess not being as faithful to God as God is to us. 
We pray for reconciliation between ourselves and others, ourselves and God. It is a fresh start, a chance to cleanse ourselves as a new year begins and to let God into our lives completely once again. Now, as Christians, we don't practice Yom Kippur, but we do have this concept of self-cleansing and being reconciled to God. This is the gift we are given through Jesus Christ. So as Christmas itself comes to a close, our work is just beginning. As we begin to take our trees down, as we begin to box up our decorations and find space for those new gifts, we might begin to ponder and pray about what the gift of reconciliation means to us. In what ways do you need to be renewed and restored in your relationship with God, your relationship with others? And as the new year begins, what hope will you carry with you that we will, in fact, become new creations in Christ? When I went to see the Christmas lights at Connor Prairie last week, which was wonderful, I stopped by one of the readings they were doing of the last chapter of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. I was moved once again by the change of heart experienced by good old Ebenezer Scrooge at the end of the story. Having realized how his negative outlook and attitude about life had affected others along his life journey and had done a lot of harm, he experiences what I would call the gift of reconciliation. He then went on to share and expand that gift to those he had wronged. He became a new creation filled with grace, joy, and hope. So as I close my time with you today, let's take a look at what this looks like through the eyes of Disney. Why, Mr. Scrooge! Merry Christmas! Won't you come in? Merry Christmas! Huh. I have another bundle for you. But, sir, it's Christmas Day. Christmas Day, indeed. Just another excuse for being lazy. And another thing, Cratchit. I've had enough of this half-day-off stuff. You leave me no alternative but to give you... Toys! Yes, toys. No, 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 no. I'm giving you a raise and making you my partner. A, a partner? Oh, thank you, Mr. Scrooge. Merry Christmas, Bob. And God blesses everyone. Joy to the So may your now what questions be turned into plans of hope and joy and reconciliation this coming year as we continue to lift up the light of the world for all to see. And yes, God bless us, everyone. Amen. Good morning. Welcome again to Noblesville First. I'm Matt Hantelman, one of the pastors here at Noblesville First. 
and I'm glad you joined us for worship this morning. So many of our life's seasons are about anticipation, expecting the next thing to come. For young adults, the questions always seem to be about what's next. What are, when are you going to get married? When are you going to have kids? When are you going to buy a house? As we get older, the themes change, but the questions keep coming. What's the next big home project? Are you going to have more kids? Are you going to hit your midlife crisis soon? And then it continues. When are you going to retire? What are you going to do once you're not working? We are always looking ahead. And the Christmas season each year is similar. We build anticipation for Christmas morning for both the opening of presents and the celebration of Jesus' birth. And now here on the other side of Christmas, I find myself asking a similar question as I do at all of those milestones. Now what? In this world where there always seems to be a next thing to attain or strive for, now what can feel like a daunting question. In my other job as an actuary, there's a series of increasingly difficult tests to gain different levels of credentials. They are typically offered about twice a year and take about two months to get your grades back once you sit, once you sit for them. The problem is the right amount of study time is arguably more than the four months between receiving your grade from your last exam and taking the next one. So you have this limbo of which exam should I study for? And for years, it's a never ending loop of looking forward, always trying to get to the next thing. Now what becomes exhausting? And the answer is always study for the next one. This is true of our milestones as well. When once you buy a house, then when are you going to add a fence so you can get pets? Or when are you going to baby-proof it so you can have kids? It's always the next thing and the next thing. The now what of Christmas can also be daunting, but maybe for different reasons. Because what we are left with here is actually the lack of a specific next step. Jesus was born and we celebrated. He lived his life, he died, and he rose again that we may have life. And we celebrate the birth of Christ for a month, and then what? We're just expected to live that life? What does that mean? What's the next step? We've celebrated Jesus' birth, now what? And we can be tempted to do what we normally do, to look into the future for the next thing. But Jesus actually gives an admonishment about worrying about the future now what's. In the Sermon on the Mount, he points out the way God takes care of creation. He feeds the birds, he clothes the flowers and beauty. And he says, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Jesus goes on to tell us to seek the kingdom first. Before thinking of the now what's, before worrying about tomorrow, seek the kingdom of God, which is something we can be doing right now. And when he says seek, that's what he means. It's not a veiled spiritual idea. The word literally means go look for. 
This means the kingdom is findable here and now. And we don't have to look very hard in the stories of Jesus to find out what he means by look for the kingdom of God. Jesus repeatedly lives out those words as he travels, as offering healing and food and counsel and comfort to those he meets. And by seeking the kingdom of God, Jesus is also creating the kingdom of God here on earth. And that's why the Lord's prayer is, that's what the Lord's prayer is saying. When we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When the will of God is done on earth, then the earth doesn't just become like God's kingdom. For a brief moment, it is God's kingdom. We have the ability to both seek and create the kingdom of God. We seek when we look to join communities of believers in their already occurring kingdom work, when we join together in ministry and love, we create when we do that work ourselves. And that is all available here and now. And doing kingdom work isn't a magic formula either. Loving our neighbors is kingdom work. Feeding the hungry is kingdom work. I think a lot of times we get ourselves twisted into thinking that the work God wants from us is some sort of spiritual superhero action. But that misses the mark. Doing kingdom work here in the world is simply acting now as we will act when we are fully in the kingdom of God. And making the earth now look like what the kingdom of God looks like. The Bible is full of little references to what that will be like. It says there will be no more hunger and no more thirst. There will be no more war as we beat our spears into plowshares and pruning hooks. We will all act in love for one another. And those acts of love and goodwill and worshiping God and making sure people are not hungry or thirsty or homeless are all things that make the earth look like the kingdom of God. That's the now that we live in. That's what we mean when we say living a life of worship, doing what we can to bring the kingdom of God closer to earth. If worship is an action that brings us closer to God, then I see two ways of accomplishing that. We can try to raise ourselves up towards God through singing songs or reading scripture or praying or attending worship services, or we can pull God's kingdom down closer to earth by making as much of the world around us look like the kingdom of God as we can through loving neighbors, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked. That is all worship. Both reduce the gap between us and God, one by trying to raise us up, the other by trying to bring God down here. And worship God should forever be the answer to, now what? Go and do likewise. Amen.